Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Sheila. And we are here for a bit of a check-in with a show we've referenced, but, you know, never really talked about uh, at, at any length here on the show. And that is Better Call Saul, which is... I mean, it's as good as TV gets right now. Is that is that is that is that hyperbole? Am I being yes. too kind? <laughs> We're going to have a little disagreement about okay. this. But I first, think it's magnificent. Okay, but first, before you talk, of course, about Better Call Saul, you have to say we haven't posted in two weeks. Oh yes, we haven't posted in two weeks. So just quick explanation. Uh, I I mean, I've mentioned my job in the past. My my entire career has been as a freelance writer. You know, I'm a screenwriter. I write movies, I write television, that's just what I've always done. Uh, I have recently gotten a job working for a company, you know, so now I'm working nine to five, and I'm still in the process of figuring out what my schedule for that is and organizing my life around, you know, having a schedule <laughs> for like the first time in my career. And so I'm a little, you know, uh, harder to get in touch with. So this is all my fault, this is all my situation. We're not going anywhere, we're just... We're going to be a little more sporadic as we figure out the new schedule. So yeah. keep, okay. keep and looking and we will let you know. Yes. You just have to explain, though, that there is this time problem yes. as well. Well, yes. I, I, am working for a, I am working for a company. The real issue is that I'm working for a company that is like a bunch of hours ahead of me. So I have to wake up and go to sleep at, you know, slightly strange times to make this work, which, you know, that. happy to do it. But it does make this all a little more difficult than it would be otherwise. Yeah, it's, he's loving his job. But anybody who's had to make a major shift in their <laughs> sleeping patterns and everything else. Yeah, it's, so, and it's I a have big adjustment. Been, and I have been majorly busy. I wouldn't put this all on Dan. A lot uh, of it's on me, though. Yeah, yeah. Most, no, oh, okay. most of it. Yeah. You get you get sixty five percent. Okay, that's fair. Okay, I get thirty five because I spent two weekends data mining yeah exactly are and bargaining and doing union stuff yeah, and exactly. it was a disastrous <laughs> so neither one of us have been um in a place where we could talk about things we you know we wanted to do reacher next and uh i did finish managed to finish reading killing floor book. yeah and killing i'm halfway through so i'll have it finished for this coming week and we will have reacher for you very soon yeah, so we're going to try at least do one podcast a week. That's the plan. Uh, I finished Better Call Saul. I think I did miss one episode, but that didn't matter, you yeah. know. You, uh, as long as you saw the season ender, you're good. You're you're on well, board. Yeah, and I got, no, I did see everything but the one, and I can fill in what that one would have been about. Okay, good. Just, just to kind of, it was the one after uh, the whole drug thing. Yeah. After oh. after Nacho, uh, oh poor Nacho, you know, and and uh, yes, so no, I did see the I did see everything else, um, yeah. and I did see the epilogue. That's what we'll call it, an epilogue to mm -hmm. the season this season, and next season starts in July. So, oh, very excited. So yeah, we will be here to talk about the last four, or no, the last seven episodes of Better Call Saul as well. Yeah. But for right now, we're just talking about the show as a whole and this frankly amazing uh, new season that just happened, like the first seven episodes. So it's it's weird for a spinoff of Breaking Bad, right? 
for, I think, like, it's a unique situation. So you got the show's beloved as Breaking Bad. And yet, when Better Call Saul was announced, I think there was a universal sense that, oh, that's a great idea. Like, yes. No one was skeptical about Better Call Saul. No, because Saul Goodman was such a captivating character already. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so whatever they were going to do with him, you you trusted them that it was going to be great. And it is. Better Call Saul has been great. And I'd have to, if I, if I talk about the whole thing, I've had a problem with the show right from the beginning. Because okay. I have a really, really, now this has nothing to, this is my own personal issue. <laughs> I'm very interested to find out what this is. I have a really hard time watching people who are so self, consistently self-destructive. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, and we got the, we got Jimmy's backstory. Mm-hmm. Because his name is Jimmy McGill. We got the backstory. You feel so sorry for him. But the point is that, you know, it's, you watch him, you watch her. Um, oh, my God. Oh, Kim. Poor Kim. But not even poor Kim. It's some of it. She. It's all her fault, too. All yeah. on herself. Oh, exactly. And, you know, and she has, you know, the two of them are exceedingly flawed characters. They are the two key people. Yeah. They are the two and, main characters of the show. And this season has embraced, like, she had always been, uh, you know, one of the three main characters of the show, along with uh, Mike, right? But this, 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 you know, this seven episodes. Oh no, it's just equally about Kim and Jimmy at this point. Yeah, it's equally know, her it's, show. It's basically a backgrounder with uh, Giancarlo Esposito. I know. Oh, all of the, Mike. all the of the stuff. Them are Mike are are backgrounders, right? Oh yeah, to drive things forward, but. But this business, I, I don't know if anybody's watched it. And I'm, I'm not even going to say don't watch it because this is my issue. <laughs> it, it really is. It is so hard at times for me to watch this constant and um, consistent self-destruction. And this episode yeah. is imploding. Yeah, this, um, whole, this whole this last seven, ep seven, this whole eight episodes are just... The two of them imploding. Yeah. And um, so, yes, I watch it because it is good. We should mention that Jimmy McGill's big brother plays a major part. And yeah. Jimmy McGill's big brother was evil. <laughs> he was. He was an evil man. <laughs> he and, was a terrible man. And, and you you'd never would have known it. You know, I mean, until the end of that first season, like oh, the, the way they, the way that first season is structured with his brother being, you know, so crippled and so disabled by his, uh, by his electronic Phobia. sensitivity, right? Phobia to electricity. Well, he believes it's a physical thing, but we discover it's a phobia. But Not he only believes do we discover it's a phobia, but this is a spoiler alert. Yeah. Episode. Oh no! Obviously, we're going to be talking about spoilers this whole you know, time. Phobia, my foot. <laughs> yeah. Fake phobia. I know. Uh, 
Well, I mean, I think you can say that he really does have, like, I think, I think it's fair to say that he is not wholly in control of himself when it comes to the electromagnetic sensitivity. You know, like, he can train himself out of it. And because there's that moment, you know, where he runs and he gets a phone and he has to answer and it's like, he forgets that he's supposed to be sensitive to this stuff. Yes, which is why I call it a phobia yeah. as opposed to- A sensitivity, but, yeah. yeah. And it, you're it, right, it is. And plus, if he doesn't know he has a cell phone on him, yeah. he doesn't oh. know. Oh, and then people call that one of the best scenes in the entire history of the show. Yeah, when, when Jimmy just, you know- Plants a uh, cell phone battery on him. Yeah. To to reveal in court that this is all a lie. And the the horrible part is, right, in that scene, that the the lie he's revealing, and again, this is where this is where Jimmy is can be such a monster too. Yeah. Oh. Is that like that has nothing to do with what Jimmy did. You know, the fact that he reveals that Chuck's stuff is all uh, you know, all a delusion. Right and not actually a physical sensitivity. It, I mean, it has nothing to do with the fact that Jimmy actually did. He did trick him. He did change a bunch of files. And then he get, did come in to destroy a recording of that happening. Like he yeah. did all of the stuff he's been accused of doing. Yeah. And so all he's going to do is he's going to. Uh, I'm sorry, he's going to destroy his brother as a witness. He's going to make it so his brother can never be taken seriously. Again, you know, I mean, it, it is overkill, but it is. But, but then again, what his brother did to him. Yeah. Not it, it just is equally yes. monstrous. It is this war between these two men. Yeah. And it is. Um, and Jimmy wins that war. Yeah. OK. Mm -hmm. But now we watch Jimmy self-destruct. Well, yeah, I mean, and that is the fascinating thing about the show, that everything, you know, good about Jimmy, like, once his brother dies, there's no good left in Jimmy, really, once no. his brother's dead. Well, because he could be good to offset his brother. Yes. Right? Well, his brother wasn't right. He wasn't useless. He was, he helped people. He did he this, did. he did that. And his degree was just as good. And he was a brilliant lawyer and all of those. He had stories. all of the potential in the world. And that is, that is what's so brilliant about that first season. Because he became a lawyer. And he's like, I would love to hear work here at HHM. Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill. And the idea is that uh, Jimmy and had, been, had come up with Howard's... Well, no, he had been a junior partner to Howard's dad, and he had been... Uh, sorry, not Jimmy. Oh, my God. Chuck. Chuck McGill. Michael McKean in... Did he win an Emmy for that? Because if he didn't, I don't know what's going on with the Emmy people. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you know, he had, uh, he had been a junior partner to Hamlin's dad, Howard Hamlin's dad, right? And the fascinating part is... He had been his junior partner to Howard Hamlin's dad, and he had so impressed him that they had started their own firm together. And then, of course, Howard's son came and joined, and he was, uh, he was in many ways, Howard's mentor, right? He was the guy who taught Howard about the law and didn't have all of the baggage 
right, that Howard had in his own relationship with his father. And that's why Howard is so unbelievably close to Chuck and defers to Chuck in all things at all times. Yes. And that ends up being, you know, Howard's fatal flaw. Well, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding as we get to the end of season seven. Oh, God, poor Howard. It was, I mean, this this whole thing. But what I, you know, nothing Howard did deserve what Jimmy and, and Kim, Kim does to him. To him. Yeah. Like, I just, it. And it's I monstrous. And they're doing it just for the fun of it. Well, yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing and that Howard I found so fascinating. Because when they start trying to, they decide they're going to, you know, get Howard. The goal is to get enough money to start their own firm. Yeah. And if if Jimmy just had the million dollars that's coming from the settlement, right? But the settlement's like three, five, three, maybe five years away, right? So they're like, oh, we'll destroy Howard and that'll force them to do the settlement. And while they're thinking about planning it, Jimmy gets paid hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> to deliver some drug money. Yeah. Not to, sorry, to deliver, uh, not, well, yeah, to deliver drug money as a bail payment, right? To deliver drug, for, to get Lalo out of jail. So suddenly Jimmy has hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he starts his firm. And he has enough money for Kim to do her pro bono firm as well. Yep. They no longer need the Sandpiper Crossing money. They no. don't need it. And what's worse is, What's worse is Ed Begley Jr. shows up and she does a fake pitch to him to try and set up Howard. And during the pitch, she's like, I want to set up a firm, you know, to do this kind of, you know, massive support of people who can't afford lawyers. And he's like, I'm involved in a fund to do that. And obviously this is a great idea. I'm going to get you the funding to do this. Yeah. So Jimmy has his law firm. Kim has the money to fund her pro bono work, right? There is literally no reason to, to try Howard. to destroy yeah. Howard. And they do it just because they can. Yeah. Just because at their core, they are cruel. They are cruel, sociopathic people. And we do see, right, mm -hmm. uh, a little backstory for Kim. Yeah. We've gotten two pieces of her alcoholic scumbag con woman mother yeah and you understand that she was on her own since she was tiny yeah. like since she was a kid she has been figuring out how to do stuff for herself and her mother again only gave her support when she committed crimes, crimes. yeah jesus and it's like I in that moment <laughs> in that moment we're like oh my god she and jimmy really are like we've always known they were similar but now we see where it comes from yeah it was it was you know that she's always and you always thought that you know you kind of had this idea that it was the the bad boy influence yeah right? the jimmy was pulling her down in some yeah. one way or no, no 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 nope. no she just needed extra motivation to do this she needed it's permission this. to do the stuff she already wanted to do and yeah. being around, and she, and the reason she loved Jimmy so much is because being around Jimmy gave her permission to do the kind of stuff she wanted to do anyway. Yeah. 
because then she could kind of blame him. Yeah, exactly. And it's his go, influence. She'd go straight periodically. Yeah, she would. She'd, she'd be like, no, I... This is what you wanted. Yep. Her mother's life. But with all the money and everything else that yeah. her mother never had. Exactly. And I mean, it's right there really early in the show when they're getting drunk and conning people in a bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's right there. She loves it. You know, she adores how Jimmy used to live, right? Yeah. Because that's how Jimmy used to live when he was a small-time con man in Chicago. This was his whole life, just moving from one scam to another. And she loves it. She just wants to do it on a bigger scale. And at the same time, Jimmy's trying to go straight. Yeah. Yeah, so they really are like this toxic criticality. Where yes. each of their worst parts feeds into the other one to become oh, uh, folie à deux. Yeah, folie à deux. Thank you. Yes, that's the term I was looking for. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, they're each of their own real, you know, personality disorders makes the other one worse. Yeah. Oh, it's they're so fascinating. <laughs> well, in yes, in that sense, they're fascinating, and yeah. I, I and they do a really good job of this. It just, it it just makes me. I, it's such I, a tragedy. Yes, and I and I I think it's. I mean, there's some personal elements that have nothing to do with the con man and all the rest of it, right? Of course. Except that watching people self destruct, yeah, is very very hard. Very very hard for me. Well, and the thing is, it's so much more of a tragedy, right? Than Breaking Bad was. Yes. Because Breaking Bad, I mean, Walter White was never a good guy. No, that was it. He just got a chance to be his most awful self. Right? And the, like, you can say, well, he really did try to be a father to Jesse. And at times he did. I'm not going to say at times he didn't. But he, at the same time, he always used and manipulated and controlled Jesse too. There was always this transactional nature to their relationship. Jesse was always a a tool to be used for him. And he could feel bad about it. And he did feel bad about it from time to time. But at the end of the day, he would, you know, until like, he would never sacrifice for Jesse. Well, of course not. (laughs) Why would he? Jesse always had to sacrifice for Walt. And did he ever. And, I mean, the bottom line is, is that he sacrificed his family. He, I mean, Walter is a different character. A completely different character than Jimmy. A completely different character than Jimmy and Kim were. Yeah. Um, and, and, And his, watching Breaking Bad, like, you can just see him getting caught up. If he hadn't gotten sort of caught up in his situations... Yeah, he got caught up in well because his ego. It's more his ego than anything else. It's not yep. an ego thing for. They are just mean and cruel. Yep. And for him, it's sort of a survival instinct ego. First, his ego is damaged because right from the beginning we see that right in the beginning with Walter. So when he gets this offer, and of course he creates the best crystal meth in the it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in existence and it's funny because for the first time you see when lalo is looking at the um 
you get the overlap. Yes. Because we never see anything with Walter, but you finally get an overlap in time to try and situate how things are working with Jimmy and yeah. uh, well with Saul and Kim at the same time as all of the other stuff was going on. Yeah. With Walter and Gus Frank. Yeah. Right. So that was, and that's what in the last few episodes you get that because Lalo is, has found out. Has found out about the, what will be the lab, you know, the yeah. will be the lab that gets built in like another two years uh, in oh. the world. No, he's already talking about how they're building it. Yeah, though, no, but I'm saying it's going to be finished because this yeah. is set, because uh, we, as we know, uh, we have the timeline. This is 2000, and, I think 2005 or 2004. And yeah. Breaking Bad is 2008. The whole show takes place in 2008, from beginning to end. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, we're getting close to the setting of Breaking Bad, and we're seeing all of the pieces taking shape. Yeah, and because you know that this is coming, right? Yeah. You know who survived and who didn't. Yeah. Sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting watching it in that way. But, yeah. like, and the genius of the show is... That's such a tiny portion of the appeal of the show. Oh, you know? I don't think it stands on its own. Exactly. You don't have to know about Breaking Bad to watch this. You don't have to w have watched. Breaking you could have never heard of Breaking Bad. Yeah. And you just watch Better Call Saul and you'll be like, you will have an incredible experience. Yes. Well, the epilogue. <laughs> the epilogue would be a little strange for it you. It would be confusing, right? Yes, it would be confusing. The gene. Yeah, the gene scenes in the future would I? I admit those would be a little confusing. That's but all. Only I think only a little confusing. Well, yeah, you don't have. Well, you, if you don't think about it, you don't have to worry about it. And it might get you to go watch Breaking Bad because yeah. the sequel. This is the prequel. Yeah, exactly. This is Saul's prequel. Yeah, it's how and, he became Saul Goodman. Yeah, and uh, Kim is no longer there. Yeah. And that is the interesting thing. Like, Kim isn't there anymore. What happened to Kim in season eight? Oh, yeah. We're going to, uh, well, no, season, uh, it's not eight. Uh, we're in season five. Well, no, six? What, no, whichever seven. one. Is it seven? It can't be this seven. Is season seven. Okay, seven. Sorry. All right, seven. Um, but anyway, but the point is, we're going to find out in the next glut of episodes. And they're, they're counting, just like with Breaking Bad, breaking into two halves. They're yeah. calling this one season that's broken into two halves. So it's not like, so but the next part isn't season episodes. eight. It's season seven, part two. Okay. But yeah, it's I, seven episodes. You're absolutely right that that's a distinction without a difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, come but, on. Uh, but that is, that is what <laughs> they say. So I'm just, I'm using their terminology, although you're right that you don't really have to use their terminology. You know, I'm going, uh, basically because this has, one hell of a cliffhanger. Oh, God. But it, it is, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is. And I just, I watched that cliffhanger and then I'm going, and then it just went, because I thought, okay, well, that's over. And yeah. then it went on to the, the end of Breaking Bad, right? Yeah. Is what happens. I mean, this, this thing called American Greed, this, this. <laughs> I know. About the story of uh, Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman as narrated by Stacey Keach. Yeah. <laughs> that was very fun. Oh, yeah, they that, did a little, 
they did a little fake uh fake american justice show about the breaking bad story and jimmy mcgill's part in it yeah you know and and walter and nobody knows where walter is nobody knows where jimmy is um, yeah it's it's pretty fantastic actually. And, they don't, and they don't give us any hint of kim any hint of what's going to happen in the next bunch of episodes no no they they don't let us know anything even though it's said in the aftermath we yeah. have zero idea of what's happening and yeah. it's very frustrating but they're being very good at managing this yeah and I, uh, I know. I, and i do think as i talk about it of course it's a good tv show yeah but it's... it is like watching it was like watching um uh ray donovan yeah where it's like you're you are making your your you your I mean I hate to say it to go as simple as this, but we because sometimes we hit this well too much, especially in our you know fifteen seasons of Criminal Minds. You know if you just go to therapy, you <laughs> wouldn't have a lot of these problems. <laughs> you yes, know? We're, letting, we're letting Michael uh, what's his face do that. Yeah. Yes. No, but it's like, if you would just go to therapy, you could get into a bunch of this stuff, guys. Because, <laughs> like, what is the most... There there are so many tragic scenes in the show, right? Yeah. But is there anything more tragic than Howard realizing oh. his part in... Uh, no, earlier, at the start of season six, realizing his part in... that he had believed like he had believed Chuck too much. Yes. He had never trusted Jimmy. And he's like, I played a big part in making the feud between you worse. And I'm willing to worse. And I'm willing to do whatever I can to make it better. Yeah. I mean, there's Howard. And that's Howard. Trying who, to make it better. Trying to fix things. And Jimmy responding with, I must destroy you. And he doesn't destroy him because he hates Howard. He destroys Howard because Howard said something that was true about Jimmy, yeah. which is it wasn't just Chuck. You guys destroyed each other. Yeah. And he, but accepting Howard's help and taking, oh, and like coming to, because he offered him a partnership at HHM. He yeah. said, take over for Chuck at HHM. Because Jimmy is, Jimmy's He's a, a brilliant lawyer. lawyer. Yeah. And Howard respects that. And it would still be Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill. Yeah. He wanted to do right, but in order to accept that, Jimmy would have to admit the stuff he did wrong. And though and Jimmy can't admit anything's his fault. It's always somebody else's fault. Yeah, and I mean and that is just it's a stunning okay, so he's bipolar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean maybe. maybe. <laughs> the, key, the, key, the key to understanding Jimmy McGill is he's bipolar. He cannot accept help. He cannot accept that anything is his responsibility. He screws up every single solitary shot he has yep. at making a life for himself. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's bipolar. What well, no, it's like I know I, I you you easily like that's that's a strong reading, but I think you're probably right. Well, because we haven't seen him be well. No, and we've he, seen manic episodes and we've seen him get yeah. really depressed. Yep. You know, we, we have seen these things, so it's not that crazy to diagnose him that way. But the key element is, like, he would have to admit his part in the feud. Yes. And he can't do it. And no. because he can't admit, he would rather destroy Howard 
right? Yeah. He would rather. And then I was thinking back after seeing what a monster Kim turns into in this half season. Yeah. I started thinking back about the Barry Corbin sequence in the when Mesa Verde wants to build yes. a certain thing and Barry Corbin doesn't want to land. And it's like, and you want to interpret it as Kim fighting for the little guy. But, but no. now that you watch this season, you're like, nah. no, I think Kim just wanted an excuse to do something crazy and destroy somebody. And Barry Corbin's plight and feud with Mesa Verde just gave her an excuse. Yeah. Yeah, like, Kim Kim is... Uh, like, the revelations about Kim this season have been shattering in a lot of ways. Because, and that's, like all of the best reveals, you notice stuff that was there the whole time. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what's, that's what's so interesting about it, is that you always, we have always let, in the first six seasons, yeah. let Kim off the hook. Yep, because that we assumed it was Jimmy's influence. Jimmy or whatever, right? Yep. But she loves Jimmy. It's Jimmy's influence. Jimmy's, yeah. if only she was, got, hadn't gotten hooked up with Jimmy. And yeah. this has been all about pulling the wool from our eyes, right? And, the, right. and letting us see Kim Wexler clearly for the first time. When she turns that car around... Doesn't go to this meeting that's going to give her the career she wants. Everything she wanted. Everything she wanted. She says, no, it has to be today. Yeah. And boy. Yeah. And that's, that is her, you know, that is her costing her her soul, whatever she had left. Yeah. The and moment I, says no, because she chooses destroying Howard over help, over setting up a, a giant fund to help indigent people have legal defense like yeah. the things she said she cared about the things she has you know blown up her whole legal career to go and do yeah. no she throws that all away because destroying howard is more important yeah and and only destroying howard for money like it wasn't like but the money doesn't even matter anymore she's got the money well yes but that's that's and i this is you know i'm just going why were they so focused and targeted on Howard? I mean, Howard's, you know, Mr. Bland Lawyer. Yeah, he's just a bland lawyer. And as he said, well, and I mean, that's that's why Howard gets that beautiful speech where he's like, why? You know? Why? why? What? Because I put you in document review? You know, because I sided with, because I sided, uh, you know, with Chuck? Like, is that why I deserve to be destroyed? You know? He's and they don't have an answer. Why? Yeah, and they just look at him. There's no reason other than it was fun. Yeah. And he, and he points that out. He figured it out. You did it for fun. Yeah. Because you're you broken. Could. You did it for fun. You did it because you could, because you're broken, is what he tells them. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it was a... And they do it without it seeming modeling. Nope. Like, I, it's just amazing. There is no self-pitying. No. It's in just... Howard. It's just Howard saying, I have been fooled by you people. I have been, it's like, you got me. You fooled me. I thought, you know, I thought you were rational actors. Yeah. But no, you're just monsters. And I have to accept that and I have to move forward. But the last thing I would want to do is let you walk away from here thinking you're heroes who... You know, who got a villain good. 
And he just gets to say, I'm not the villain here. Yeah. And he isn't. No. That, I mean, if anybody out of all of this, he may have made mistakes and stuff. Of course. In this whole, in this in whole the entire Call show story, you know, he's too nice. Yeah, exactly. He really is. And in the entire show, like, it's safe to say that Howard Hamlin is, I mean, there's, there's Mike's uh, daughter-in-law and granddaughter <laughs> as the, the least complicated, decent people. And then there's Howard. Yeah. You know? Because it's, ultimately yeah. they even destroyed his marriage. He did. Yeah. Oh, God. Poor Howard. You know? Uh, it's just, it's... um, It's a tough one. You know, I mean, the whole thing, it, at times it just made me... I think this and watching this season because it was going on it was going along because I had to catch up because I had started sort of watching and then I was taken up with all of this union stuff I was doing right and and then when I have to watch these people who don't yeah. care a damn about anybody else and I'm just going reflecting oh, on the I selfish have? people in your selfish. own life that you have to deal with you selfish, no idea that there's anybody else in the world who matters but you. Yep. And like, oh, this I know too many people in my own life like this who are currently right making now. my life really difficult as we speak. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like I, as I said, I have to, I have to admit that there is that internal sort aspect of aspect to it, aspect to it, problem to when I was watching and watching these people, like I don't like them. No, you can't. No, and it's like okay so i have to be civil right to the people i'm dealing with i don't have to be civil about these characters they're just characters in a tv show i don't like them yep. i don't like these people and you know it's not that bad it's a brilliant portrayal chuck was you always I never felt sorry, I don't think, for Chuck. Never. No. Except he didn't deserve, again, what Jimmy did. Except what he did to Jimmy was so destructive. because Well, he, he destroyed Jimmy's own. life. Yeah, he destroyed Jimmy's life. And he's yeah. got his own problems with his brother Jimmy. Well, Jimmy I know, but the, tra the true tragedy, though, is, right, that he, Jimmy, you know, his, he was going to jail. It was going to be bad. And Chuck got him out of it. Yeah. And he said, you've got to straighten out your life. And the crazy part is, Jimmy did. Yeah. He did it. He did what Chuck had always said he wanted. He did everything Chuck wanted. But Chuck was so arrogant. Yeah. Right? So monstrously arrogant that seeing the idea of Jimmy actually turning his life around and becoming, um, you know, a productive member of society and a respected member of the bar, like he couldn't abide that. He yeah, always I mean, has to be better than Jimmy. It was just amazing. I mean, it really was amazing. And that, of course, that sets up, as you say, that feud. And yeah. One, I mean, the problem with a feud is somebody's got to say stop. Yep. And neither one of them would say could. stop. I, more than would. I think neither one of them could. Could, yeah. They didn't have it in them to stop it. And that's what makes it such a, compelling relationship because had he just 
let Jimmy become an associate at HHM. Yeah. None of this would have happened. None of it. That's all he had to do. But no, he had to keep his brother. Like, the joy it must have brought Chuck to have his cowed brother under his thumb constantly. Working at HHM. Working in the mailroom. Serving him. Constantly shamed. And constantly, you know, needing to appreciate what Howard had done for him. You know? Yeah. Like, and that must have been so wonderful for him. And that's part of what makes him such a monster. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the whole thing, right? You're always stuck with this, that there is nobody, right, really likable. Well, I mean, maybe Ed Begley and Howard. Yeah, Ed Begley Jr. is a perfectly good guy. You know, Howard's a great guy. Like, Howard really is a good guy. He just, he's too nice and he trusted the wrong people. Yeah. And it but, got him, shall we say it? Yeah, we'll say it. Oh. At that end, that last shot? I couldn't. I couldn't take it. Like, I knew it was coming, but I couldn't take it. You just sat there and... You're like, oh, no. The jaw drops. The... Yeah. As Lalo just shoots him in the head. Yeah. And you're like, there's no way out Lalo of this. Comes, comes into Jimmy and... To his place. His lawyers. His lawyers. Jesus. And Howard, who's had a couple of drinks, has no idea what's happening until it's nope. way too late. Oh. It's so horrible. And I mean, now that we know what's going to happen to Lalo, uh, right, at, at least Lalo's going to have the worst death imaginable. <laughs> Excuse me. Yes. Because, I mean, they told us what's going to happen to Lalo earlier. Because back when, um, back when, uh, uh, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what's going to happen to Lalo, just FYI, just fast forward two minutes if you don't want uh, what's going to happen to Lalo. But when, uh, when Hector first had the stroke, yeah, uh, you know, whew. He went to Giancarlo Esposito, went to see him, right? Gus went to see him and he told him this story, right? About the time that when he was a kid and there was this, mo this animal that always, uh, right, stole fruit from his tree. And of course they needed the fruit. So he trapped it and it broke its leg and he then kept it in a box under its bed while it died slowly. And, spoiler alert, ha Gus just built a box underneath his laundry. <laughs> and all Lalo needs to do to get Gus killed is prove that that laundry exists. Right? And so, Gus is going to lure Lalo into that laundry, and he's going to shoot Lalo and injure him, and he's going to leave him to bleed to death slowly inside a locked room. Or hell, he might not even shoot him. You know, he might just... He might just, you know, point a gun at him and hold there and leave him, lock him down there to die of thirst. And then he'll go to Hector and he'll say, uh, yeah, Lalo's in a pit dying of thirst. And Hector, because everybody but Hector thinks that Lalo's dead, Hector's going to be the only one who knows and he won't be able to tell anybody. Because yeah. he doesn't know where the box that Lalo is in is. So yeah, that's what's going to happen to Lalo. If I'm wrong about that, 
I would be very surprised. And I will tell you that Hector told Lalo, don't do it. Yep. He told him not to. But Lalo can't oh. listen. All of these guys are so... I mean, if there's one thing that's true about every character in this show, except for, I guess, Mike, they all have too much pride. Yeah. The thing you can say about Mike is he's the only one who knows exactly who he is. Yep. You know? Mike knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly what business he is, he's in. And he knows exactly why he's doing what he's doing. Well, yes. Like, all, all of the... All of the nuance to his personality and life ended when his son died. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, now I'm just a machine to provide for my granddaughter and my daughter-in-law. That's all I'm for. I don't have an internal life anymore. And he doesn't let himself have an internal life anymore. And we you saw... Know, he well, tried going not... out on a date once. Yeah. And he's just, nope, it can't, it can't happen it. for me. Nope. Yeah, it's... He's a tragic figure, too, though. Well, he's a tragic figure, but in a different way. Oh, in a very different way. You know, so that it it is... I think the tragedy, you don't see that here. If you haven't watched Breaking Bad, it is in Breaking Bad. It is, yeah. You see the, the final tragedy of his life. Oh, Which is not his death. It's no. the tragedy prior to that. Yeah. Um. So I won't spoil Breaking Bad. No, no, we're not going to spoil all of Breaking Bad. It's a good show. It's not Better Call Saul, but it's a really good show. Well, it's it's a different. Yeah, it's a completely show. different experience. It's one man's obsession. It's yeah. really the story of Walter White. Yep. Just as this is the story of Saul Goodman, and they are two very different people. Yeah. Walter yeah. White and this poor kid who gets dragged into Walter White's obsession. Yeah. This poor aimless kid who just you know could not live up to his parents' expectations and as a consequence was doomed. Yeah. You really do feel sorry for Jesse when you watch that show as a whole. And that's what I think why El Camino is so satisfying. Yeah. You did sit down and watch El Camino, right? No, I still Oh you okay, well I'm not gonna shut up now. Yeah, you I'm not gonna spoil up. that. But it is it is a satisfying thing for Jesse. And I was gonna oh. say ending for Jesse, but apparently now that he's ten years away from it. Aaron Paul's like, yeah, if they want me to do more Breaking Bad, I'll do more Breaking Bad. <laughs> He's like, I've been away for 10 years. I've done a couple of other shows. You know, I said never again at the end of Breaking Bad. But, you know, I did the movie and the movie was fun. And if after, you know, Better Call Saul, they want to come and do more with Jesse, we can talk about that. Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's interesting because these are the key characters in Breaking Bad. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to ever sort of take away from Breaking Bad. Uh, yeah. it, it, it was at times again hard to watch, but it was different. We didn't mm -hmm. have the person. We only had Walter as the key personality. We didn't yep. see anything else, any other development. Not really. It was just Walter, and then his wife getting kind of stuck in this. His wife is trapped with him, and then. Uh... Well, I mean, Walt, I mean, that's, by the way, uh, you know, if you want a, 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 just a series of shows about how the male ego only causes problems, you're not going to do a lot better than Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Yeah. Because it's like, for the love of God, like, think about what happens to Hank Schrader 100% uh -huh. because of his ego. And again, yeah. we're not going to spoil the whole show here, but everything that happens to Hank is 100% because of his ego. Everything. 
Yes. Well, just remember, yes, as I would say, just remember that because, um, it, because Hank Schroeder does show up in the epilogue. <laughs> yeah. As dead. Yeah. I know. Yeah. We know Hank's dead. Spoiler yeah. alert. He is in, it is mentioned in the epilogue that Hank's dead. Uh, but yeah, but keep, keep in mind when you're watching the show that Hank is going to die at some point, but it's entirely down to his own ego. Like that's, that's the story of so many, but that's the story of how many characters in this show. It's all these men who constantly need to prove their ego and justify their superiority over each other. Yeah. And they you will know? step on everybody and everything. Well, and then it's, and to, to keep, keep their ego intact. Well, and you like the most raw version of it is a character who we see in the first season of both Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and that's Tuco. Yeah. Right? And he is the most raw version of what all of these guys are. Yeah. Guys yeah. who don't want to be questioned. Guys who want to be perceived as masculine. Guys who want to be thought of as tough. All of these guys are the same person. Yeah. Right? And then... But And you look at Gus, and you see a man who has completely transcended that. Except, why does what... And again, we're not going to give away the show, but, you know, he's the bad guy in Breaking Bad, so you know he's not going to come to a good end. What is... Why does he have a bad end? Because he feels the exact same way. Because he has to gloat. Because he has to show off. Because he has to prove who he is. If he would had really transcended his ego the way everything about him and his life and his presentation of himself suggests, if he had actually transcended all of that, he'd have been fine. Yeah. And that's the key. He would have been fine, but he hadn't. And again, the only character who has transcended his ego is Mike, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because even Howard, he's, I mean... He has taken up yoga. He has taken up meditation. He has namaste on his license plate. But if he had transcended his ego, he, he wouldn't, wouldn't have gone to see Jimmy and Kim, would he? Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's, it's this ego that gets everybody in trouble. Every single character. Except for Mike. Mike really doesn't have an ego, but... This is the job. I'll but do this the is job. the job. I'll do the job. But uh, yeah, well, all, all of Mike's stuff happens do, for other reasons. Well, yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how to do the job better. Yes, <laughs> that's true. You know, I, well, no, and be, no, it's true. It's true. Yeah, he's got no, he's got no personal stake in any of Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad. Well, really, I, and no I think personal stakes for him. Nope, he really doesn't. His stakes are all elsewhere, and so his ego is never attached to it. Yeah. And he and, does provide yep. for his granddaughter. So mm -hmm. that's the only thing he really wants to do. Yep. Well, one thing that I find super fascinating in that, right, is, and this is, I think, how good the writing is on these shows, yeah. is that I keep talking about how everyone is destroyed by their ego. But yeah. it's worth mentioning that every single character like, has a moment where another character tells them, either let it go, or gives them a way out from having to indulge their ego. Yeah. Even Gus has a scene where Tyra says, this is about ego, you don't have to do things yourself. Yeah. But it's more important to Gus to let his ego 
take the same than it is to be safe and be smart. E the ego for these men co always comes first. Yes. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly, every, you know. And, and even Kim. And I always say it's this male ego, but, you know, Kim's the same way. Yeah, well, yes, Kim's, Kim's the same way. Yeah. It's this self-destructive ego. Power, yeah. but power just makes it worse. That's absolutely what is happening, right? It's, it's they get, well, and they get the thrills and the fun of it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You get addicted to the, to the chase. The adrenaline of the pulling adrenaline. off these cons. Yeah. Of pulling one over on people. Yeah. Yeah. No, Be it's smarter than everybody else. Oh, yeah. And that's, again, part of what makes this such a special pair of shows. But the, the way they, and I'll tell you the big difference, right? And here's what I think is the big difference. There is a degree, a large degree to which Breaking Bad, for all of its brilliant character work, is plot driven and is spectacle driven. Yeah. And Better Call Saul never is. Never, ever, ever. It is, in Better Call Saul, it is only ever about the characters and what these characters do to each other. Yeah. You know? And I think, I think that's key. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, well, because what is the plot? Yeah, exactly. The plot is, you know, this lawyer keeps making his life worse. That's what it's about. And you can say, oh, well, the plot's about a war between Gus and uh, the Salamancas. And I'm like, kind of? Yeah, well, it's all backdrop, though. But that's all backdrop to the it's real drama. Backdrop. Yeah, and it's like the the drama, like the, the biggest part of that, the thing you care most about in that war is, will Nacho get out of it? Yeah. And, you know, he doesn't. But it's not for a lack of trying. Yeah, well, I mean, you always knew things weren't going to end well for Nacho. Uh, there, there is tragedy, you know, looming around Nacho the entire time. From the beginning. Right from the beginning of the show. Like, you know, like, he is so... Yeah, he is so on edge and he is so nervous. And it's like, he is a man. Like, all of these other guys in the cartel, yeah. he's the only one who never enjoys himself for a moment. No, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want, like, he started on this when he was too young, and then when he was he was too young to know better, he got pulled into this life because of the thrills and the easy money, and then he was trapped and he could never get out. Yeah. And it's a show, his entire arc through the show is trying to find a way out for him and his father. Yeah. And... And it's like, all you want is for them to make it to Alberta, you know? <laughs> He's got these fake, you know, these fake Canadian passports for him and his dad. And if he can just get to Alberta, you yeah. know, he can just make it out. But that ain't the kind of show this is. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, no, like every part of it is, it's so beautifully put together. And I think what impresses me most about it is how thoroughly it gets you, the watcher, on board with all of their scams and all of their cons. Yeah. Because in the same way, like when he's pulling this con on the court to help Huel, you're like, well, Huel seems like an okay guy. You know, so this is fun. And when they're, when they're destroying the Mesa Verde banking relationship to help Barry Corbin, you're like, well, I understand why Barry Corbin 
because you're being conned the way they're conning themselves. Yeah. And it's only in this season you're like, oh, it was never, those were just how they justified the thing they wanted to do. And the thing they wanted to do was successfully pull a con. The thing they wanted to do was be smarter than everybody else. The yeah. thing they wanted to do was win. Yeah. And up until Howard, they always found a justification for it. Yeah. But then they stopped justifying it and they just destroyed Howard. And as you say, the most, in a way, it's not just Kim's character. You can say that the most pivotal moment for the entire show is when Kim turns that car around. Yes, yes. Because. It's just amazing. It's not, it's not about, it's not about, it's not about material success. It's not about getting what's yours. It's not about, no, it's just about winning. It's just about the con. Yep. And then you're like, oh, it was only ever about the con. All of those times they were helping people, it was just about through cons. No, they didn't care about helping people. They just, it was just the con. Yeah. And it's hard to take. No, it, it really is. It is emotionally wrenching. It is, it is a great, it is a great TV show. No, I, I won't, I will not argue with that. Yeah. But I, you I, were, I, you were totally dead on to identify that as the key moment. Yeah. And I had not thought about how vital it is because I'd thought about how I'd been wrong about the whole time, her the whole time. But it's like, it's not, it's more than that. It's the pivotal moment. It's, it's what this show has secretly been about this whole time. That if you have to choose between getting everything you want and, you know, destroying somebody and getting away with it, you'll pick destroying somebody and getting away with it. Yeah. That's exactly it. She's on the verge of. Yeah, so she's probably bipolar too. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I guess I guess if we have a final thought, it's that it's it's an unbelievably good TV show. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, like, and if if they want to do the Jesse Pinkman show, we'll watch the Jesse Pinkman show. I think that's safe to say, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's safe to say, but I think we would need some time away from this world. Oh yeah, I need, I need, I will need some time away from this. G give us a year or two, guys, before you start working on that. Remember, please. we're getting July and August. The rest of it. I know it's it's going to be wrenching. It's going to be wrenching at the end. And yeah, whatever happens to Kim, whatever happens to Saul slash slash Jimmy slash Jean yeah. in the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird to think that all of the flash forwards have been set over like three days. <sighs> but they have. Because it's the story, like he has the first day of him sitting at home, and then he goes to and then we see him going to work and realizing he's always being watched. And then he gets uh he gets locked in the back room and he can't call the cop. He can't he can't lock, get himself out of the back room because that'll call the cops. And what if his cover doesn't hold up? So he just has to sit there until someone lets him out. And Who then he has the panic. About? The flash forwards at the start of every season. Oh, okay. Yeah. I Where we see what Gene is up to. Yes. Okay. Gene. Yeah. And then he, and then he has the panic. Then he tells a guy, you know, say nothing to the cops and get a lawyer, even though it's just a punk kid shoplifting. Uh -huh. he tells the cops where the kid is because he doesn't want the cops to be suspicious but then he can't stop from telling the kid 
you know, get a lawyer, say nothing. Because <laughs> on some level, he's still Jimmy McGill, right? And then finally, he has the panic attack, right? He has the panic attack and gets hospitalized. And the taxi driver finds out about him. And that's what brings us up to now. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, but that's all said over three days. Yeah, that's I the crazy thought. part. I forgot. Yeah. Like we've been watching that. We've been watching these clips for six years now, but it's all set over three days. Yeah. And it's literally so that the fact that it's so compressed and we're only what we haven't seen an overview of Gene's life, Gene Takovic's life. We've only watched three days suggests that we are watching the end of Jimmy's story or else it wouldn't be this tightly put together. So yeah, it's going to be good. There's one thing I'm confident about. It's that it's going to be a hell of an ending. You know, that's oh. one thing I'm sure of. All right. So uh, I guess that's that. We, we've, we love this show. And we haven't really talked about Gene and Mike's stories because they're fascinating in their own right. And like Mike's emotional journey of having to give up his ego and just become a soldier. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating story for him, right? But it's it's only because it reflects what's going on with the real heart of the show, the Jimmy and Kim relationship, right? It reflects back, and the stuff that's going on with Gus is always very fascinating, and it's compelling thriller television, and they're amazing at making it, but it's all about what's going on with these characters at its core. And that's why it's the best show on TV. I keep saying, even though I don't know if you're going to sign off on that with me. Well, I it's, it's great. I, yeah, I mean, I haven't been watching an awful lot of, of other television of other television that's on, but so many of them I don't. I mean, I don't even have any interest in watching. I hear you. I have only so much time. And so it has to be really... Well, yeah, I get yeah. it. I get it. But as we patiently wait for the end of the year, I mean, we're going to be watching rewatching Wire in the Blood this year. And honestly, I don't know if you're going to say yes, but be prepared. There's a non-zero chance I'm going to try and badger you into watching Fargo. So just be, be on the lookout for that. Okay, until Criminal Minds comes back. Exactly. Like, we're, wait we're sitting here patiently waiting for the return of Criminal Minds, which... Hopefully is going to be this, you know, this fall, winter. I mean, anything can happen. Production delays exist. But with any luck, this fall, winter, we get uh, some more Criminal Minds. Yeah. Right? Uh, but, oh boy, uh, on the way there, there's going to be plenty of other stuff we're watching. And like I said, I might talk you into watching Fargo. Because I think Fargo's very interesting. For a lot of well, reasons. Yeah, well, for a lot of reasons. I love the movie. but Oh, I yeah love anything the Coen brothers do. Well, and I mean, that's the thing. Um, what it is, is a remix of all of the Coen brothers movies. Yeah. You know, and you watch the first season, you watch the second season, but there have been two more seasons, and that's what, you know, we might want to do the whole show, because the, the next two seasons are fascinating in their own right. Okay, so I, well, well, well yes, you might want to, because... Yeah. Something I well, I'll just have to watch the first two seasons again. Again, yeah, so we can talk about them because they do they do tie into one another. Well, in a very interesting way. But it's it's so it's so fascinating that for me it's things like oh, 
Twin Peaks sticks. Yeah. You know? Um, in a way that so many other things don't. So many other things in those first two seasons of Fargo. Yeah, they don't they don't lock in your head the way a wise guy or a Breaking Bad or a, as you say, Twin Peaks does. Yeah. You know, or hell, a cop rock does. Oh, cop rock. Well, at least somebody's there finally. At least there are people out there watching cop rock and finding out that it's the best show. Yeah. Uh, you have to listen to podcasts and things, guys. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, should people listen to the Avon? Oh, yeah. People should listen if, to the if Avod. looking for something else. Yeah, I, I, I'm i still doing the Avod, you know, my uh, horror movie podcast that I've been doing for more than a decade at this point. So there's there's plenty of other content out there from us yeah, they, while you're waiting. They do the big super movies and stuff. We did, yeah. Horror movies, the bit, whatever the big action and superhero movies are. There's plenty of stuff for you to check in on. And they've done some Korean stuff, which is... Oh, not, of course. <laughs> which is... You know, so th there's all sorts. There's a whole bunch of stuff there that you can listen to if you want to hear Dan again. You don't hear me, but... No, you don't hear her. But, you know, if you've only showed up recently, go back and listen to us talk about uh, Criminal Minds. Yeah. I think we have a lot of good content about that, too. And uh, you'd be surprised how quickly Sheila here gets going on being a podcaster. <laughs> well, yeah. There's a ramp up. There's a ramp up until you're comfortable. Yes. I'm not going to pretend there isn't, but no. you get comfortable pretty quickly. Well, once, once I just go, okay. Yeah. Once, once you're, you're like, no, I'm really just telling people about criminal minds. And honestly, the further we get into criminal minds, the more we get into these characters and these situations and we start seeing these themes. Yeah. And we start becoming as obsessed with Spencer Reed as everyone else is. <laughs> All right, so that's that. If you'd like to hear more from us, we just told you where to go. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling-related fiction you'd like to check out, please drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We're going to see you back here next week or the week after with Reacher Part 2, where we talk about the book Killing Floor and the differences between Season 1 and Season 2. So that should be a blast. Uh, we'll see you back here for that. But until then, I'm going to say that's right. Au revoir. Have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.